so thankful for who you are, Lord, and we can know you as our King, and Lord, as our Master, our Savior, and our friend, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look into your word. Lord, give us ears to hear this morning what you would speak to us. We're just so thankful for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you take your seats? Good morning, Family Church. Need to drink some water, all of this singing so loud. I love being able to sit in the front and hear. I don't think that there was one person not singing this morning. It was so loud, and what a privilege it is to be able to worship together and to hear one another lift our voices to the Lord. We're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Ephesians. So we finished the Sermon on the Mount. And now we're going into Ephesians, and we're going to be working through this entire book. And uh, we've broken down, or I've broken down my message this morning into three parts. And the first one is the letter itself. Then it's going to be about the city of Ephesus, where the church was located, and then the gospel's effect on Ephesus. And so um, we're just going to be jumping right into this. This is kind of going to be our little graphic logo. But I have a map for us that's going to pull up. And beginning, and these are the seven churches that we see in Revelations, the beginning chapters of Revelation. Um, these are the letters that were circulated around. Ephesians was circulated to these seven different churches and all of those who were professing Christ. And so number one here is Ephesus, and this is the first church that we believe received this letter. That's why it's called the book of Ephesians, the earliest manuscripts we have of uh, the letter of Ephesians don't have necessarily a title of a church. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 1, right there in um, beginning in verse 1, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. This is one of the only time you'll probably hear us say this. This is the only time when we can actually insert ourselves into Scripture and say that it would be acceptable for us to say to the saints who are in Marco Island. Because this was circulated to all the different churches, and this is a primer of church ecclesiology, um, which means the study of the church. And so Ephesians is a very, very deeply biblical book, and it just really hits on what the essence of the church is. So this morning, for our purposes, and as we study through Ephesians, I want us to kind of picture that this letter was given to us, to the saints who are in Marco Island. And so the author of this book, and we're just going to hit a lot of background about Ephesians and then move, in, move into the book, was the Apostle Paul. And this was a prison epistle, which means he wrote it while in prison, just like our previous letter, Philippians. And so before I go any farther into these details, would you pray with me? God, we give you praise this morning. What a joy it is to worship you. God, to lift our voices um, this morning in song. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that you've given us. You've given to all the churches that we can have and that we can study and learn more about. God, we give you praise for who you are and for the gospel of Jesus Christ that does set us free and does save us. God, may you speak through me this morning. May you open our ears to hear. And, and may we just learn more about this letter, learn more about the city of Ephesus. Um, but ultimately, may we as a church take home what it means um, to understand the theology, and the things you want us to learn in Ephesians. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this letter was wrote around 60 to 62 AD, and he was in a prison in Rome when he wrote the letter. Um, and I have a, a missionary journey map, if we could pull that up. And 
Paul began his second missionary journey, and he began kind of in this area here. And it wasn't just Paul. He brought along believers with him. And so these believers with him, there was a couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. And this is a couple who were grounded in the gospel. And he, he brought them, so they went to, to Tyre, to Sidon, to Antioch, and they went all the way, all the way around through here. And then we're going to pick up our reading this morning in Acts chapter 18, and we're going to get some background information on this couple and what happened in Ephesus. So Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. says this, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of his brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And then at Chintry, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went unto the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So if we can pull that map up again on the second missionary journey about this area is when he made a vow and then they sailed across and they went to Ephesus And that's when Paul left Priscilla and Aquila there after they started up this church. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were just a regular couple, but they had already been on a lot of missionary journeys, starting churches, and this was where he kept them, and he continued on back down to Jerusalem. So Priscilla and Aquila just stayed in that foreign city, um, and we're going to learn here shortly about, about that city. Before we get into that, let's look at why Ephesians was wrote. Why Ephesians was wrote. It's a miniature doctrine of the church, uh, as I mentioned earlier, called ecclesiology. And it just means a study of the church, the practices of the church. So it's fundamental that churches understand the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters, but in it, it talks about the purpose of the church, why the church exists, how the church grows, does God grow the church. And there's an incredible, um, incredible portion here from James Montgomery Boyce that I, want to read, that I would like to read for us. This morning, this is a quote from him about Ephesians. There is mass confusion about what the church is to be in our time, especially among so-called evangelical Christians. The problem is not with biblical terminology. Evangelicals know that the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a temple not made with hands, and a fellowship, and many other things. But for many, it's only slogans. The important questions have to do with how the church comes into being. Is forming the church something we do or something God does? How is the church to function? Are we free to organize it any way we want to, or does it God have determining ideas in this area? Perhaps most importantly, what is the church for? Does it exist merely to reach others with the gospel? Does it exist to make us happy, or is there some greater plan involved? He goes on to say, as I look at the church, I sense that our problem is we are too man-centered. We think of the church as being created and managed by us for our needs rather than by God and for his glory. It is precisely at this point that the book of Ephesians is so valuable. Ephesians is about the church, but the place it begins is with the work of the Father, the Son, and bringing it into being. So from the very beginning, this book is about God's work in the church. So it's incredible that we're going to be studying this for the next few few weeks. Um, There's a couple of There's a couple of titles that have been given this book by theologians throughout time. When you listen to these titles, it really brings home the importance of this book. One title is Ephesians, God's Ultimate Purpose. Another one, the crown and climax of all of Paul's letters. So Paul, who wrote 70% of the New Testament, 
The climax of all of his letters, they say, is the book of Ephesians. Another name, the distilled essence of the Christian religion. That's what the book of Ephesians is. So let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to get through a couple of verses today. And then we're going to look at the town of, or the city of Ephesus. Most commentaries, and maybe in your Bible, Ephesians 1, the, the purpose behind it is God's ultimate purpose. That's what many commentaries title this chapter. And beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So even in the very beginning of this letter, Paul is stating it's not about him, it's about who? God. And he's saying this apostleship, his believing in Christ, and even the writing of this letter is not by his will, but whose will? God's will. So Paul, from the very beginning, is this is not about me. I wouldn't even be a Christian unless it was by his will. And by the will of God, I'm even able to write this letter from the will of God. And then he goes on to the saints who are faithful. Then he says, grace to you and peace from who? God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say, I give you grace and I pronounce peace on you. He says, grace and peace to you from God. So Paul is saying everything is about God. Everything is for God. And everything is for the purpose of God. In the first two verses of this letter. And that sets the stage for the church. The church should be about God, for God, and everything that we do is for the purpose of God. And I, I know many times um, you've heard the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? How many of you have heard this before? That's kind of accurate, but it doesn't fulfill the whole thing. Because the Bible is not just instructional for us on how to live. Yes, there are some things that he calls us to do, but God's word is more than just instruction. It's more than just showing us what we need to do. It's actually showing us who God is. It's the divinely inspired word that he has given us to reveal himself to us. So it's not about just instructions for us to follow. It's actually telling us about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we learn those things, when we learn about God, that transitions into how we live our life, how we follow him. And so this book is to grow in a deeper relationship, a deeper love and a knowledge for him. Our thinking should revolve around who God is. Our thinking should revolve of what is God doing in my life today? Pastor teacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about the book of Ephesians. The message of the Bible from the beginning to the end is designed to bring us back to God, to humble us before God and to enable us to see our relationship with him. And that is the theme of Ephesians. It holds us face to face with God, what God is and what God has done. It emphasizes throughout the glory and the greatness of God, God the eternal one, God the everlasting, God overall and the indescribable glory of God. The book of Ephesians is all about him. Now, as we approach this book to study it, and any book of the Bible for that matter, we need to make sure that we take a good perspective and a right perspective of the book. And what I mean by that is that we step outside of it and we allow God to speak to us through it. A lot of times when we come to something, we bring our own interpretation, our own baggage, and our own thoughts to these things. And when we're encountering different letters in the Bible that have really deep theology and some things that are, are tough to struggle with, we need to understand who we are and who God is. And so I kind of want to set some 
ground rules here coming up because there are a lot of questions that we may have as Christians. And if we come with a wrong perspective, starting with ourselves, we're going to get to these questions and we're not going to have an answer. And then all of a sudden we're going to start questioning our faith. So our, our foundation first has to be God is sovereign. God knows all. He is always just. He's always perfect in everything he does. And we need to step back and realize we're none of those things. So, for example, here's a, couple of, here's a couple of questions that just off the top of your head, and I'm sure you have some questions, um, but we have to have a good perspective as we approach these questions. You know, for instance, these are common questions today. Why did Jesus have to die? Could God have done it any other way? Why does he allow sin? I know a quick answer to that we can say, well, the whole free will issue. Well, if God knows in advance there was going to be sin, why did God create us in the first place? That takes the free will issue out of it. Why did God, knowing in advance that he would create somebody, have sin? That's a tough, that's a tough question. How do you answer that? That God knew in advance that these things, why did he create hell? Why did he give us the capacity to sin? Did he really have to? And is he powerful enough to stop sin? Or at least stop us from sinning or take us out of those situations? Genesis 3, sin enters into the world. Why did God wait so many thousands of years before Christ comes on the scene? Why didn't he just Genesis 4, give us Jesus Christ and that would be the end of it? I mean, there's, why doesn't he reveal himself to all men like he did Paul? Does he have that capability and that capacity to reveal himself to all men in a much stronger manner than he already has? You know, those are questions that... If you are starting with yourself, you're going to have a very tough time moving forward in these. But we have to back up and understand, I am not God. God has this whole thing figured out. We can approach him, but we do it cautiously, lovingly, understanding who we are and who he is. And Ephesians hits on some of these very deep theological issues. But we need to understand, church, these things are not to be scary to us. Theological depth God gave us this for our joy. He gave it because he loved us, and he also gave it because it brings him glory. And a lot of times, I mean, a lot of doctrines that churches shy away from, a lot of things that we don't like to discuss, the first century church was excited about these principles, and they were excited about these things because they reveal God's glory, and they give us a confidence of love and faith. So as we go through some of these things, Throughout any of our time as we study the word, maybe you have some questions. I want to give us some ground rules, some ground rules um, to come into play here. Rule number one, if you're taking notes, these would be some good things to write down. Not that what I haven't said hasn't been good things to write down before this, but these are the things that appear on the screen, right? Rule number one, God's word is true. Pretty simple, right? God's word is true. But what I mean by that is God's word is says what it means and means what it says. It doesn't try to mince words and it's not trying to confuse you. It actually says what it means. The problem with that is sometimes we don't understand what it says or we think it means something differently. But God's word is true. Rule number two, God's word is true even if we don't understand how it could be true. We are very finite and limited in our understanding and our thinking. We are in time. God is outside of time. There are going to be things that it is hard to understand. 
Rule number three, God's word never contradicts itself. God's word never contradicts itself. If we believe A and we believe B, Scripture says this is true and Scripture says this is true, but they seem to contradict each other. Who has the issue here? I do, right? Or you do. God doesn't. So either I don't understand how these two A and B work together or I am wrong in my interpretation of either what I think A is or what I think B is. And that is how the word of God works together. So it is true. It's true even if we don't understand it's true. And it never contradicts itself. Rule number four, God will always act like God. And this is a tough one because we like to impose ourselves as God. We see in the Old Testament where cities were destroyed and there were women and children. And these parents loved their children. The children loved their parents. And, but God said to the destruction, you know, there, there are a lot of things that if you come from a human perspective, starting with yourself, there's a struggle there. And that's where we have to look at these ground rules and say, time out. I believe God is good. Always. God is always going to be just. God is always going to be loving. God always knows what happens. We have to step back and we have to say, even in these things I see and I read, somehow in the midst of this, God is just. In the midst of this, God was loving. In the midst of this, God had mercy all the way through these principles. So keep these things in, in mind. Anytime you're dealing with a, a principle in scripture, you may may not understand, or it may be a tough thing in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And when we come to these things, it should reveal to us, man, thank goodness I'm not God, right? Thank goodness he is God. He has all these things figured out, and it reveals to us we're the ones lacking understanding. God is the one who is true. God is the one who is good. Amen? Amen. Okay, so those are ground rules as we move forward in the series or even in other um, biblical, you know, as we study the word, we may come to these rules um, a couple of different times. So I want to take the remaining time and kind of go into the city of Ephesus where this letter first arrived. And so the city of Ephesus, if you went there today, you can actually walk in the port, these are some ruins of the city of Ephesus. Actually, that's a temple. We're not there yet, but we will be. Um, but we're walking into the city. You can actually walk out where the port used to be because it's filled with sand. And so where boats and things used to be, it was a major port city. It was a very wealthy city, but it was best known for its temple. And it was to the temple of Artemis. So now we can show that picture. Um, but this was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. These are just some ruins left of it, a very small portion left of it. And at this point in history, this false goddess Artemis was the most worshipped idol in that whole area. And it was in the center of Ephesus. And so they had this temple. These are just the ruins of the temple. Um, if we go to the next picture, this is kind of a modern day what that temple would have looked like. So incredible, incredible temple that they had. Well, because this temple was there, they became, this became actually the biggest bank in the world at the time. Because having that cult centered there brought in a lot of traffic, a lot of visitors, because people were coming there for idol worship. They printed their own money. And this town was thriving because of this idol worship of Artemis. Well, Artemis was the false goddess of fertility. 
and they worshiped a black stone that apparently fell from the sky like a meteor. They put it in this temple and they went and that's what they worshiped. So they benefited financially in a number of ways. Now I want us to imagine planting a church in the city of Ephesus, right? The city was the hub of this God's worship for that whole area. Everybody thought if you're going to go worship the goddess, you go to her temple. So this whole city, their job was to keep pure this false religion. They were the ones that kept this sacred. And we're going to see here shortly that the gospel made its way through Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila into the town of Ephesus. And there was some struggles there, as we can imagine. And to see this, I want us to look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 1. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It begins, it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through inland country and came to Ephesus. Skip down to verse 8. So he's in Ephesus. It says, Paul entered into the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Three months Paul spent day after day doing this. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew himself and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, I don't know if we just comprehended And I've read this before and I didn't really comprehend what that was until I studied. We see Paul speaking for two years, how often in this place? Daily. Daily. Two years. Daily he spoke of the gospel out among the community. And it says, when some became stubborn, he went somewhere else and for two years, daily spoke to them and it We need to step back when we read things like that and say, what is our priority who call ourselves Christians and we believe in him and we've given our life to him? Paul was so ferocious about the gospel. Daily for two years, he was reasoning with people. And then did we see what happened? So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek, because of his purpose there. Well, let's keep going. Let's go to verse 23 because some things started happening in that city because of all the false idol worship. Let's go to verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, that is Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods at all. And there is danger, not that this trade, that this trade of ours may become in disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship." 
So I want to stop here and have a little quiz for us. What do Disney World, Busch Gardens, Six Flags, Universal Studios, SeaWorld, and every other major attraction in the world have in common with the Temple of Artemis? Anybody know? What? Bringing lots of money. That's a good one. Somebody else? Okay. I hear like sinfulness, you know, that that is true probably. Um, One of those is in all of these places, they encourage you to walk through something and to spend money on certain souvenirs. And you walk through a gift shop, right? You walk through a gift shop. And that's exactly what they had set up in Ephesus. So I want us to go back. And I want us to read because this idea of a gift shop is nothing new. It's nothing new. They were doing it back in biblical times. The idea of going somewhere on vacation or visiting somewhere you wanted to see and them charging you $10 for a bottle of water. All right? We've all been there. Every time we go on vacation now, we go and my wife loves going on. She's like an adventurer. You know, she'll be like, we'll be in our house one day on Marco Island. She's like, let's go find something exciting like a cave. You know, and I'm like... There's no caves. There's no mountains around here. But she, we will go somewhere to do a, a vacation. And at all these national parks now, they've come up with a great way to earn money. And when you go there, if you walk on a trail, we'll walk on a trail. We'll get pictures. But she insists that unless we buy this little souvenir that goes on a walking stick. And, and you buy it for ridiculous amounts of money. And you pin it on your walking stick. So when you're walking with the stick, you can see all the places you've gone to. And, of course, they charge you $25 for a walking stick and then another $10 for this little badge. It's the same concept that they had here in Ephesus, although they probably got something a little bit more worth something. So, side rants over. We can go into Acts 19. I did let her read this sermon. She said, I can't believe you're going to talk about that. I said, it's a great illustration. I'm like, here's a feather. Let's tie that to the walking stick, and it will look much better. So, Acts 19, verse 23, it says this. There was no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, meaning they were making a lot of money with their little business. He gathered together those who were in similar trades who had gift shops. They were making idols and selling them for large amounts of money. People were coming there. And then it says in verse 26, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but all of Asia has heard Paul. And they've been persuaded and turn away from the many gods that are made with hands. What powerful message it is. The gospel came into this central location that was supposed to preserve a cult. And he began teaching and preaching for two, for two years daily and the effect that people stopped buying these things. And they started getting worried. They, they were in danger that their trade was going to be destroyed. And in verse 27, let's pick up there. And there is danger not only that this trade may come into disrepute, but also that the goddess herself may be counted as nothing. They were worried that that whole temple was going to be seen as worthless. And they were just going to see it as another building. And their business would be destroyed. You know, that's the same reason why people don't want the gospel today. Is that their way of life would be destroyed. You know, if you accept the gospel, the things you love to do, you're called many times to no longer do. 
And we have passions and we have desires, things that we love to do. And people reject the gospel for that reason. And it was the same in this day. You're going to change my way of life. You're going to change my business. These are things that I like to do. And the gospel is coming and saying, turn away from those things and turn to, turn to God. In verse 28, it says, When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristocrus, if that's his name, Macedonians who were with Paul's companions in travel. So they grabbed these two individuals, rushed them in because they were speaking against their God. And it says they dragged them into a theater in Ephesus. And that theater is still there today. And we have a picture. It's incredible that they built these things. This is a theater that held 25,000 people. They would just literally take a mountainside and cut out the mountainside and drill it down. And this is where they held theater performances. This is where people were condemned and they held judgments. There would later be gladiatorial games in these. But this is where they rushed and brought them in. And the whole city and town would be sitting into these seats while they're in the middle about to be tried. These people. Let's keep going. There's a, one more picture of this. This is kind of what it would look like on the inside. This is still there today. And this is what they were dragged into. In verse 30, it says, Paul wished to go into the crowd, and, but the disciples would not let him. It says even some of his friends were trying to go in and they were urging him, don't go. I want you to imagine the scene. The whole town grabbing these two individuals who were proclaiming Christianity, rushing them into this place. And even people, I mean, they see a mob scene, so more people started coming and more people of the town started coming to where it even says that they didn't even know why they were there. In verse 22, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander from the Jews they had put forward. And Alexander motioned with his hands, wanting to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out in one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. They cried out to their God. They cried out about their God to where nobody could be heard except them chanting their cry to this false God. And they're there trying to represent Christ, a small band of people. Can you imagine that scene? What it would mean to stand up and continue to say, I stand for Jesus Christ. This is destroying their way of life. This is destroying their business. This is destroying their passions. And you're proclaiming that the gods they're chanting about don't even exist. And, and this is the issue of Christianity today. It's because we say he is the truth and the life. And he is the way. It's not just a way. See, if we would take that one word and change it to a, then, oh, it's just another God, just like her. But it's not that. It's that he says, this is the way. This is the truth. And all gods that are proclaimed are not gods at all. There is only one God. I want us to see that Paul, two years, devoted himself and daily spoke to these people. Do you think that one man can really make a difference in an entire city? We've read this morning that he did. And he was so focused on the gospel. 
And his life was so radically wrapped up in the gospel and what Christ had done for him that every day for two years he reasoned with people. And that's what he was focused on. Even to when they were afraid that their entire cult that was the center in that city of why that city even existed was about to be destroyed because of the gospel. Now, we're a church of a couple hundred people have accepted Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit living within us, and I kind of want to bring this home for us today. Paul, by himself, with a few Christians, sinful markets and sinful businesses were coming under attack and being destroyed. Yet, right here on Marco and right here in Naples, we have some of the highest slave trafficking networks in the United States for sexual trafficking, but also workforce trafficking right here in our backyard. Marco Island is full of substance abuse, alcohol, prescription medications, and drug use right here. It's no surprise to many of us that that is happening right in the town next door in Naples. Daily, five or six babies are being thrown away at an abortion clinic. And it's happening right here. And abortion, when you consider what Paul was facing, abortion is far worse than selling silver trinkets. They were, they were selling, making a business of selling silver trinkets people would worship. But these people actually submitted in authority to these little fake gods. Well, in, in the issue of some of the things we're talking today or the issue of abortion, there is no authority. It's actually proclaiming that we have the right to take a life and then saying that we are the authority that deems it is okay because it is by a personal choice. You know, so what is happening here is, is far worse than that. And I want us to see, and I'm not saying that we go start a movement to end drugs here on the island or just that we start and we start going and picketing the abortion clinic or that we do something else about slave trafficking or sexual trafficking. It's not about that. We don't see Paul going and confronting those issues which were happening in his day too. What do we see him doing? For two years, daily, he did what? He preached the gospel. That's the focus, church. It's not about this or that. We can get behind and rally behind these things of saving the earth or saving this or doing that or providing this. But it's all about the gospel. And Paul, for two years, by himself, preached the gospel. And we see from the word that it changed the entire city where people stopped buying those things and it influenced them. And that's the effect that our church because of our fervor for the Lord, should be having on this community. And that's the effect we should be having in Naples because, and, and I get stuck in it too, we're so wrapped up and we wake up, got to go to work, got to do this, got to make money, got to provide for the family, I come home, I need some time to myself, I got to tend to the kids, got a soccer game. I mean, we're in this wrapped up consistency going all the time that we've lost the focus of eternity is coming. And there are those around us who are flailing and falling and broken. And, and Paul had it right. We have to be persistent and really make things the priority of what is the priority. In 1 Corinthians 9, there's no need to turn there. Listen to Paul's words. And I pray this for my life and I pray it for our life that we may truly get 
more serious about not just living this out and spending time in the word personally, but actually going out and sharing our faith openly with our friends and our neighbors and having those conversations. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. It's all about him. For necessity is laid upon me. And then he says this, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's why Paul had an impact. It's because he focused on the main issue. So it's not about ending abortion or slavery. It's about the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection that he came lived a perfect life that you couldn't live and still can't live and never could live. He lived it for you, taking your sins when you trust in him, taking your sins upon himself, that he faced God's wrath for you, the wrath you deserved. That's the gospel. Jesus took that. When you believe and you trust in him, that he took God's wrath for you, you're going to live differently and you're going to say thank you. You're going to praise him differently. You're going to live your life. You're going to speak to people differently. You're going to honor and submit to one another differently as to Christ, as it says. That's what the gospel is. And I pray that we as a church may continue to be wrapped up in what the gospel is because it changes us. And it should change those around us. And I want to pray for us this morning. This is one reason why we encourage you and we want all of us to be committed to connect groups. We want all of us to be committed to one another in membership, to be committed to Bible study, to discipleship, to core classes. All of those things are things that we provide and want us to do together. Because if we don't know the word, how are we going to go share the word? If we're uncomfortable doing it here, we can't go to those outside like Paul did. So I want us to pray together. And if you have any questions, or maybe you've heard the gospel for the first time this morning, and you want you want that, you have struggles or you have questions, come talk with either myself or Pastor Terry. He'll be out back and I'll be right up here at the front. So we would love to meet with you. Maybe you're like, I want to share and I want to learn how to share, but I don't know how. Listen, we'd love to meet with you and I will go out one-on-one with you and do evangelism because I need that spurring on too. We can learn how to do it together. Let's pray. God, we do praise you for who you are. God, woe to us if we don't preach the gospel. God, we thank you that we have your word and the book of Ephesians that we're starting to study. God, I know we've went through a lot of different things about the letter, even looking at the town of Ephesus. But God, seeing what the gospel did there in that town that was focused on idol worship. God, we're dealing a lot with the same today. There are so many idols, although it's not a little silver trinket or a black stone. Many times it's our own desires and it's our own self, and we follow that. And um, those around us or our neighbors and, and those out in the community follow that. And God, we pray that we may be light, God, that we may be hope to them. That's what we're called to be. Help us to preach the gospel As your word says, in season and out of season, God, may you speak to hearts, and I thank you for the work that you've already done. We praise you that we could come here and give you worship and praise and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.